Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Don't get to say that at church on Sunday morning very often. Well, this is a topical study, which we don't do very often. Normally, we just go straight through the Bible. But for this Christmas morning, we're going to look at the reason for the season. And we're going to look at different evidences, archaeologically, manuscript, prophetically, scientifically, to show us that this is not just make-believe. You know, most of Christmas is about rainbows and feelings and, you know, guys dressed in red and white beers and make-believe, all kinds of stuff. But, and a lot of people think that Jesus just goes right along with the same uh, mystical happy feelings where we all just uh, believe together and, and it's all true. But there's much, much more to prove and to show that Jesus not only lived fulfilled prophecy, did what he said what he was going to do, do what he, do it when he said he was going to do it, but that there's many different evidences for each of us here in the 21st century to have that reasonable faith. One of those emphases for the, the reasonable faith is that background right there, that text. That text right there is a portion of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but that's manuscript evidence. Whenever someone asks you why you believe what you believe, you know, did Jesus even exist? I, I just put up my, my hand in front of me. There's five reasons off the top of my head that I know that what I believe in is true. First is eyewitness testimony. Multiple people saw and recorded their experiences with Jesus. Not just the apostles, but over 500 people saw Jesus Christ resurrected. And nobody dies for something they know is a lie. Because there'll be people that say, oh, they just made it all up. Why would you get 12 men together and 11 of them are going to die to defend something that they made up? Not only are they going to die, but they're going to die torturous, brutal deaths to confirm it. So eyewitness testimony. Second is archaeological evidence. You can go and dig up that the things that... They say happen. The cultures, the civilizations, the people. You can go on a plane right now, go to Savannah Airport, make a connecting flight, go to the Middle East, get your shovel out, and you can find proof for all the things that the Bible says. The Bible is so accurate that even non-believing archaeological scholars will use it to find different civilizations. Extra-biblical sources, number three. That means people that didn't believe in Jesus and people that didn't believe what they said still recording those events happening. Extra-biblical sources include Flavius Josephus, a Jewish-Roman historian. The Jewish Talmud records Jesus' life, even though they don't agree with him. The Roman historian Cornelius Tacitus also recorded these events as they happened. Now, these are people that don't agree and they don't believe what the, everyone's saying happened, but still read scholars, so-called scholars, that say, well, Jesus is just make-believe. He never existed. They're not doing their due diligence. Then you have manuscript evidence, number four. Now, a manuscript is a Latin word for manuscriptum. It, it means written by the hand. And people were writing down books because there was no printing press until the Gutenberg Bible in Europe centuries later. So every book was written on a scroll, parchment, and they would record it. They would hand write it. Well, one of the biggest critics 
one of the biggest criticisms of the Bible today is, oh, well, we've just been changing it over time as they handwrite it, and they copied it, and they copied it, and they copied it. And that's why it's so important we have things like this, evidence. And it's blown up a little bit, so you lose some of the details, but people have been digging up archaeological evidence. They've been finding these old pieces of, of parchment and, and reeds and papyrus, and they put them all together. There's over 33,000 pieces of manuscript evidence from the first century, all saying that this book in the English in the 21st century is exactly the same way written as it was in the first century, within 3% margin of error. And that 3% is grammatical differences and misspellings the majority of the time. That is an, an amazing amount of accuracy over the centuries. That's manuscript evidence. And then last but not least, number five is prophetic evidence. You can't have prophetic evidence unless you prove that the Bible has been written and copied correctly century after century after century. What is a prophecy? A prophecy is the news in advance. When I was a kid growing up in the 90s, I'd spend the summers at my grandma's house. And there was this show. Back in my day, we didn't have Netflix for the kids in here. We could only watch what was on TV. Only watch it when they told me we were going to watch it. And when I watched it, they had to have commercials in it. Another side story, during the hurricane, we went to a friend's house in Aiken, and my kids were watching regular TV, and my daughter kept going up to the TV and touching it. She was sick of watching the commercials. I said, sweetheart, old people TV. I know, I know. Some of you remember black and white. I'm praying for you now. But coming all the way back, prophetic, I would watch this TV show at Grandma's house, and it was of this show where every time the cat meowed, the newspaper was on the stoop outside. And the guy would go out there and he'd get the newspaper, and it was tomorrow's newspaper today. And the rest of the plot was him figuring out how he was going to stop tragic things from happening in the newspaper article. I don't remember the name of the show. Maybe you can tell me afterwards. But the Bible does the same thing. But how can you prove that? Your critic will say, well, you just wrote it after the fact. That's why manuscript evidence is so important. So we know that the future was told in the past. Because a couple weeks later, you would just say, yeah, you got that newspaper the same day or something, or you just wrote it up afterwards. Those are five evidences right there to tell us that there is reason for this season. And this is the biggest one we're going to look at today. This is the book of Isaiah, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the Qumran Caves about 1946 to 1956. It was discovered by a Middle Eastern and Islamic shepherd. And as he had his sheep, he noticed one going into a cave. And he had to go in there and he get in. When he got in there, he saw all these jars that were being hidden and inside these jars were scroll after scroll after scroll. And they called them the Dead Sea Scrolls. I wrote some, um, some notes here. It is the, in the immediate facility, vicinity of the Hellenistic period Jewish settlement of the Kerbat Qumran in the eastern Judean desert, desert, the modern West Bank. The caves are located about 1.2 miles inland from the northwest shore of the Dead Sea. That's why they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. The consensus is that the Qumran cave scrolls date from the last three centuries BCE. That's 300 BC. Bronze coins found at the same site 
form a series beginning from John Hyrcinius, 135 B.C. And it's supported by radiocarbon and paleographic dating to prove its authenticity. Why is that important? Because this book of Isaiah was written in 300 B.C., 300 years before Jesus Christ came onto the scene. There are over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus coming, the day that we celebrate today. 350 different prophecies that say that Jesus was going to come, that he was going to be who he was going to be, that he was going to do what he was going to do. And there is scientific, archaeological, and manuscript evidence saying that all those things were said in the past. This isn't just some make-believe, oh yeah, Christmas time, Santa Claus, elves, flying reindeers, and Jesus, they're all the same thing. Far, far from it. I'm going to give you here a list, not 360, but I'm just going to start off with some of the prophecies. In Isaiah 7, which we're going to look at, that he would be born to a virgin. Isaiah 9, that he would have a Galilean ministry. Isaiah 9, 7, that he would be an heir of the throne of David. Isaiah 40, that someone would come before him and pronounce his way. Isaiah 50, that he would be spat on and struck. That means punched. Isaiah 52, that he would be exalted. Isaiah 52 again, that he would be disfigured and suffer and die. Isaiah 53, that he would be widely rejected. Isaiah 53 again, that he would be our substitute and die in our place. That he would be our guilt offering and punishment for sin. Isaiah 11, that the Gentiles, non-Jews would go to him. Isaiah 53, one more time, that he would be quiet before his accusers. Isaiah 61, that he would heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah 11, that God's spirit would rest upon him. That's just from the book of Isaiah, all prophecies. From that scroll that I showed up there, that was written 300 years before he came to pass. We're going to talk a little bit about the odds of these things happening in a little while. But let's pick up one prophecy. Open your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Now, we've already shown that these scriptures have been recorded and kept faithfully for millennia. Transcribed perfectly, and we have historical, archaeological, manuscript, scientific, and prophetic evidence that they're all true. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, 300 years before his birth, it said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is the Greek form, the Aramaic form of the word Joshua, which is the Hebrew word meaning, you guessed it, God with us, Emmanuel. That's what his name means. Now, you can't pick your own name. You can't pick the place of your birth. But let's just say hypothetically that they're trying to invent this thing to happen. And so Mary is going to get, and I'm, I'm going to say this tongue in cheek, so don't take me wrong. She's going to go get knocked up before she's married, and then she's going to make sure that she's in all the right places to pretend like Jesus is the Messiah, hypothetically. Again, we have some issues right off the bat. The punishment for adultery in the Jewish nation in the first century is death by stoning. 
death by stoning for any relationship outside of marriage. That's why Joseph is so careful to try and hide it until the angel comes because he was going to divorce her quietly. But the angel comes and says, no, 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 this is important. This is special. You would not make something like that up if, if your head was on the line. And then you're telling me that they're going to make it up all of his life, all of his birthday. Mary was going to have the shame. They were making fun of Jesus. Even in the Gospels, as he's older and in the temple, we see examples in Scripture where Pharisees are making fun of him. Yeah, we know who our father is, and you don't know who your father is. They're calling him a name that I can't even repeat in the sanctuary. Why would you choose that for yourself if you were faking it? But in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him... She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. She was terrified because her death was on the line. Her life was on the line and has to have a supernatural intervention. Let's look one more time in the scripture here. Isaiah 50. We're going to go from Isaiah 7 all the way to Isaiah 50. I'm sorry, your finger's going to hurt a little bit today. I know you're used to expositional teaching, but a little different today. Isaiah 50, verse 6. Jesus is older. He's going now before the temple priests and guards. And Isaiah 50, verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. You read something like that, immediately you say, oh, I'm reading from the New Testament. Okay, yeah, sure. We know this happened. Again, this is written 300 B.C., saying what death that this Emmanuel was going to die. It's even more specific. I just took one out of all the different prophecies here. In fact, for your homework, read Isaiah 52 and 53. There's a story of an Orthodox Jew who had a a believing Christian family member. And as he was on his deathbed, the believing, the Christian family said, I'm going to read the Bible, if that's okay. I just don't want you to read the New Testament. I know that's what you believe. That's not what I believe. Okay, that's fine. I'll read from the Old Testament. And read Isaiah 50 through 53 when he said, I told you, I don't want to read from the New Testament. He said, I'm reading from you from the prophet Isaiah. That Orthodox family member converted on his deathbed simply from those prophecies written because he said, there's no way. There's no way. You see, in Matthew chapter 26, it says, recording, then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palm of their hands. Your enemies are not going to be on the same team as you, are they? Right? 
Your enemies are not going to do what you want to do. That's the reason why they're your enemies. So if Jesus is trying to fake it, and the people around him are trying to fake that he's the Messiah, why would his enemies do the very thing that would confirm it? Again, that's not reasonable. You can't, you can't pick your death from your enemies. And yet 300 years before Jesus even stepped foot on this planet, it was being prophesied. Let me add a little bit more background about the book of Isaiah. What's going on in 300 B.C.? It's the Babylonian captivity. Israel doesn't even exist. Israel had been taken captain by the Babylonians, which had come, invaded Israel, burned the temple, taken everything, robbed everyone, and taken them all by force to Babylon, which is modern-day Persia, which is Iran, Iraq area, the Iran-Iraq area. They're living hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Israel. Israel doesn't even exist, and they're writing prophecies that not only is Israel going to exist, not only is there going to be a temple again, but a Messiah is going to come. I'm going to tell you where he's born. I'm going to tell you how he's born. I'm going to tell you how he lived. I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. I'm going to tell you what his name is, and then I'm going to tell you how he's going to die. And we're not making this up. I just showed you the scrolls that were found in a cave that proved the date that it was written before it ever took place. And people dare come to me and say, oh, yeah, that's make-believe. And I say, you're ignorant of the evidence and the scientific proof that shows that Jesus is something. The Bible is a book unlike any other book. Well, you'll say to me, Mike, come on. There's 22 other religious texts from other religions around the world. Aren't they all the same? Aren't they all on par with each other? I was taught that. I took religious philosophy in college, 101. I took religious philosophy, 102. Modern-day philosophy. And I used to believe that. I used to be a militant atheist. Ah, yeah, it's all just made up. Did you know out of those 22 religious texts, only three of them have prophecy in them, and only one of them has fulfilled prophecy, and that's the Bible. The other two being the book of... um, Some of the Hindu books have um, tribulation prophecies for the end of the world, and the Quran has prophecies about the end of the world. You may have heard it on the news, the 12th Imam. That's what ISIS is trying to make happen because there's no evidence and proof of any of those prophecies being fulfilled. Did you know that many of those religious texts have things that are uh, scientifically impossible? The Quran says that Alexander the Great traveled so far into the east that he found the swamp that the sun sets in. You say, well, wait, that's ridiculous. I know. That's what the Quran says. Bhagavad Gita from the Hinduism says that the world is on two elephants on the back of a turtle. You can't make this stuff up. And yet the Bible says that the earth, the round of the earth is hung on nothing in the book of Songs. Hundreds of years, it was written B.C. You know, people have to do things in spite of what the Bible says, not because of what it says. Isaiah 53, verse 7. This is our last Isaiah prophecy, and then we're going to go into some more details. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says about Jesus that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The military today teaches that there is no way that a human being can withstand torture. It's a matter of time. They used to say, don't say anything, name, rank, and serial number. Don't you dare. If you give up anything, you're a traitor. But then unfortunately, because of the darkness of man, time and time and time again, they showed that there is no person that is unbreakable. It's not possible. And so now the military teaches, hey, give up false information, give fake information, give up as little as you can, but you are going to be broken. But the prophecy here, speaking of Jesus, says he will be silent. He will not even argue with his accusers. And when he's, when he's being tortured, he's going to be quiet. And Luke, it says, then they questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. One of my favorite stories from the New Testament is when Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, the Roman official. And Pontius is trying to get Jesus to just say something that he can get him out of it because he doesn't want to have the political problems. You know that there's uh, evidence, Pontius Pilate, that for centuries they said, oh, Pontius Pilate never existed until in Caesarea they found a building that was dedicated by Pontius Pilate. It's literally written in stone, dedicated by Pontius Pilate. Another historical evidence proving the Bible and what it says. And Pontius Pilate says, hey, don't you know, Jesus, I have the power and life and death over you? Jesus says, you have no power, which my Father in heaven has not given you. Did you not know that I could call down legions of angels? Who says that after being tortured for days or overnight? Beard ripped out, punched, beaten, whipped to death. Do you know, scientifically, if you looked at that whipping, that scourging, that 40 lashes, again, extra, extra biblical uh, sources show us that this is what really happened. He should be dead already. There, there is a miracle taking place that he's even alive, just from blood loss and sheer shock. You ever watch those movies? I know you do, because you live in the 21st century America. And you're just like, there is absolutely no way. Guy jumps through a building, out of a helicopter, into a car, rolls 15 times, and you're thinking to yourself, I get into a fender bender, and I got whiplash, I got to go to the hospital. How is this? This isn't happening. And we've been conditioned to believe that, oh, this is make-believe. But there's something supernatural taking place. Yet there's historical, scientific, manuscript, prophetic evidences all saying that these things took place and that these miracles happened and then men sealed it with their lives, men and women. Men and women sealing it with their, their eyes. There's a book out that's called the, uh, written by Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman. It's called Science Speaks. They took the mathematical equations for just eight, 353-some-odd prophecies. They took the mathematical equation for eight prophecies happening. That's 17 zeros. Let me make sure. Six, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, I don't want to be called a liar. 17 zeros. I think it's like 10 to the 17th power. 10 to the 17th power that one person could fulfill just eight of those prophecies. It is scientifically impossible 
for Jesus to be anything but the Messiah. There's 353. I couldn't even put that many zeros on the board. The book is called Science Speaks by Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman. Oh, it gets better than that. I'm going to read this to you because I mess it up every time. Stoner claims that if you took a silver dollar for every one of those zeros, you would have enough silver dollars to fill the state of Texas two feet deep. Now, I drove across Texas to come here three years ago. I drove a whole day in West Texas. Nobody lives there. It's just empty as far as the sky could. I saw two cars. They told me when I was driving from California to the East Coast, they said, you get to West Texas, you see a gas station, fill up. You're not going to see another one until you're out of gas. I'm like, okay, I guess. I'm from California. There's a gas station every corner. A carniceria gas station every corner. I'm driving through West Texas, and sure enough, hour after hour after hour after hour. Oh, my gosh, honey, look, there's a car. Ooh, Ooh, that was cool. Two feet thick and silver dollars. As far as the eye can see. Now, you go, and you jump in your car or your helicopter And you find any spot in Texas, any spot at all in Texas, West Texas, North Texas, Southwest, East, El Paso to San Antonio, Austin, two foot thick, silver dollars all over Texas. You land your helicopter, you get out, you pick one up, and it's got your initials on it. That's the odds of Jesus Christ fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. There's 353 Old Testament prophecies. Oh, that is impossible. It has to be written out after the fact. But what do we have? I got this scroll found in a cave that's been radiocarbon tested from the book of Isaiah that was written 300 years B.C. saying that these prophecies were written centuries before he ever came to fact. That's the reason for the season. Then I can, without a shadow of a doubt, I can go back to work, I can go back to home, I can go back to my sports team, or I can, I can be mocked and ridiculed. Oh, you believe in that Jesus stuff? That's not even real. I say, absolutely I believe in it, because the scientific, historical, manuscript, extra-biblical sources tell me that you're crazy to not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's absolutely impossible. And then we have verses like this for Christmas. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. Oh, that's a Christmas verse if you've ever seen one, right? We see it all over the place. Oh, little Bethlehem. And they got us so distracted by these wise men. What did they look like? Was there three? The Bible doesn't say there was three. No, the Bible doesn't say there was three. It just says wise men from the east. We say three gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so we, we, we think there was three, but maybe there was more. And we think about the star, and we think about Pontius, or the Herod, and, and we start worrying about Christmas cards and all this, and we get so distracted. You know when this was written? The book of Micah was written almost a millennium before Jesus became that baby. 750, 700 B.C. is the time frame of when the book of Micah was written. How do I know it was written before the fact? Radiocarbon dating. Historical evidence. Manuscript evidence that I can see 
B.C., before Jesus ever existed, they were writing it on papyrus, they were writing it and copying it, and they were copying it so accurately, all these different copies, that there's a less than 3% error. And it's always grammar, spelling, or numerology. Wow. And you're trying to tell me, non-believers out there, that Jesus made it all up, that he didn't exist, that's a joke. And somehow he was able to line up all these things that his mom and his dad, his parents were in it, even though they lost everything, that all his disciples and all the believers and everyone around him just made this all up, that they would lose everything and then die for this idea. And what would they gain from it? Nothing. And then you're telling me that we have to close our eyes to all the scientific, historical, archaeological, manuscript, prophetic evidence. And we have to close our eyes to all of it and just pretend that it doesn't exist. Why? That's unreasonable. That's why there is great reason for this season. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not flying a helicopter to Texas and finding that silver dollar. You could give me a bucket right here and I wouldn't be able to find the right one. I have, oh, this one, nope. This one, nope. This one, nope. You know that the odds are greater to get struck by lightning in the Sahara Desert without a cloud in the sky than there is for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. Not only Bethlehem, but Bethlehem Ephrata is a suburb. It's a specific spot. There are, there are towns and cities that don't even exist. How could you 750 years ago, even, even could Bethlehem still be there? It's a dirt poor town in Galilee. Or, I'm messing it up now, but in Israel. How, how is that possible? You know what other prophecies there are? Jesus would be from the tribe of Judah, that he would be from David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would escape to Egypt, that he would be raised in the Galilee that he would be a normal person, that there would be a forerunner, John the Baptist, that he would cleanse the temple, that he would die on the cross, that not a bone would be broken, that he would be raised on the third day, that he would be called a king. And on and on and on and on, 353 distinct prophecies, all saying that when we gather together and worship this creator God, This baby in a manger who became a man who died for our sins and was resurrected is exactly who he said he was. This is not a philosophy. This is not an idea. This is not, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And and if we all Christians get together and we get everybody to believe that Jesus is Jesus, then he'll be Jesus. No, he's a fact. You can agree with it, you can disagree with it, but you're denying the evidence if you're doing anything else. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have left such an abundance of evidence, Lord. There's just so much truth. Century after century after century, the critics, they attack the scripture, they attack the evidence, they attack your word, and yet it stands as fact. Help us to separate today and Christmas Day fact from fiction, Lord. And that we would understand what you told us when you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We thank you, Jesus. 
And I just pray for anyone that, that doesn't know you here, Lord, that they would pray this prayer silently in their own heart. Now that they've seen the evidence, and maybe they've been playing before, maybe they thought it was just happy feelings, but that they would make a real commitment to you silently and in their own heart, Lord, just between you and them, that they would repeat this prayer. Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. You gave your son who died on a cross and rose again for my sins. Please fill me with your spirit. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And for the rest of us here, Lord, we pray for a special blessing. I pray that we're all strengthened and encouraged, knowing, Lord, that we not only have spiritual witness, but mental, mental, logical, reasonable witness in our life as well, Lord. We just thank you so much for your gifts, your greatness, for your word, for your Bible that has never returned void, that has survived millennia, Lord, without change and without error. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.